everybody and welcome to Wrong Term Memory. As always, my name is Jack Shaw. And I am still Colin McMillan. Jack, how are you this week? Are you good? Yes, I am. I'm great, mate. Yourself? Are you recovering? I'm getting there, yeah. I've had a, a, a bit of the COVID uh, for the last couple of weeks. Um, I'm getting there slowly, still a bit of shit. But back at work this week, try to get back to some sort of normality, mate. But it's, it's not been fun. Uh, I've had no appetite, really. I'm only just getting it back, which is good because I'm just about to make my pie sports order and get some uh, beautiful pies delivered to the house um, because I've literally not been able to eat anything for two weeks so looking forward to trying something as good as that that's actually going to taste nice well that's it you can get your pies at piesports.com go to the pie stall you can order all sorts of different pies there's there's actually vegan pies on there now as well which I think are new so if you're a vegan you can still get a pie by the way don't worry about that or if you're on a diet, they do low-fat stuff. And we've covered it before, I still love the chicken ambala. So, yeah, piesports.com if you want to get your pies, because we're going to be speaking about murder, um, so we thought we would get that in there. Um, because we know that you listeners are savvy, and you just skip adverts, so we've, sne- we've sneaked it in at the beginning, but piesports.com, get on there, get some pies delivered to your door. Glasgow and surrounding areas, basically, but they are tasty as fuck. Colin, this is your choice because we've covered Premier League serial killers basically this guy that we're going to cover is not a serial killer I think some there's Dubai about it that we will get to but why did you pick the guy you've picked and who is he? Okay, so I've picked Luca Magnotta um, because he is not a serial killer you're right there's only really one confirmed kill uh, there's potential that he may be a bit of a spree killer but there's no proof of that as yet However, he is just as interesting as somebody that's killed 10, 15, 20 people because the guy is a nutcase. Um, I discovered him a couple of years ago on a pod- another podcast, um, a podcast called Sword and Scale, did a two-part episode on him, which was just fantastic. And then Netflix did a show about him that we'll talk about later as well, um, which kind of brought him into the more public psyche. Um, but yeah, Luca Magnotta is a nutcase and super entertaining. Yeah, he was born Eric Clinton Kirk Newman back in 1982 in a place called Scarborough, not the Scarborough in Britain. He was born in Ontario, uh, the son of Anna and Donald, basically. Uh, His mother was obsessed with cleanliness. You know that this is, again, we've covered it before, where there always seems to be something with the parents. Yeah, and she would, like, lock the kids up. um, And once she put the rabbits outside and just let them die, so she... Psychotic mother again, just a common theme here, mate. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. She's she's a nutcase. She put the rabbits out in the cold; they froze to death. She used to lock the kids outside so that they couldn't be in her way when she was doing her massive tidying. So she was nuts. The father also had issues as well. His dad was diagnosed with schizophrenia in 1994, after which he divorced Magnotta's mother, uh, which led Magnotta to move in with his grandmother Phyllis. Um, he attended a school called Weldon Secondary School in Lindsay. Um, but in 2003, Jack, he began to get involved in a lot of nonsense. Uh, he appeared in gay pornographic videos. He occasionally worked as a stripper and as an escort. He appeared as a pin-up model in a 2005 issue of Toronto's Fab magazine using the pseudonym Jimmy. And in that magazine piece, he described himself as a 22-year-old soccer fan born in Russia and living in Toronto who was hoping to become a vice or a homicide police officer. He was a fantasist even then. Yeah, he was. And if you check our show notes at wrongtermemory.com, you'll see pictures of him if you don't know who we're talking about. He does actually look Russian, but to be fair. 
he does stuff of his appearance throughout his life to make himself kind of fit in and change. He, I mean, we'll come on to that in a little while, some of the stuff that he did to try and get famous and get noticed, but he was quite good at changing his appearance and making it fit the stories and the nonsense that he was recently telling. Now, is he a, a gay man, do we know, or is he gay for pay? Um, and the only reason I sort of know about that is the Louis Theroux documentary many years ago, you're talking like 20 years ago when he went into the world of pornography and interviewed a few guys that were gay for pay, basically. Do we, do we know about Luca? Is he, is he a homosexual? I think he is, yeah. I, I mean, he, he takes advantage of it in, as, in terms of getting these people to the house and doing stuff with them. But I do think he is a gay lad, yeah. Yeah, so it gets to 2005. We're not going to do a lot of background on his childhood like we did with Richard Ramirez because it's not... I don't think there's a lot out there about it, but it's not as sort of impactful um, as, obviously, uh, the Night Stalker was. But in 2005, he's accused of sexual assault. He befriends a 21-year-old woman with a mental capacity of a 8- to 12-year-old, basically. So he's taking advantage of people that aren't, in inverted commas, all there, basically, um, which is obviously a bit rotten, racks up tons of debt, $10,000 unpaid bills, charged with fraud. Police allege that he sexually assaulted this woman and videotaped it, uh, but the Crown end up dropping these charges before it goes to trial. And Newman's lawyer at the time, Peter Sully, says now that the decision changed the course of Magnotta's life immeasurably, basically, and... I suppose it did, mate. It really did. It did, yeah. I mean, if they'd got a hold of him and held him to account here, he potentially wouldn't have been able to go on and, and do the things that he did. Um, he was later investigated for fraud, which he pled guilty to, and he was convicted of four fraud charges. Um, before sentencing, though, his lawyer showed the court a medical report revealing that the client had significant psychiatric issues. And in handing down the sentence, the sentence, uh, the judge issued a stern warning. You've got a medical problem and you always have to take medication for it. If you do not, your life is going to get messed up. He was given a nine-month community service sentence and 12 months of probation. So again, Jack, he's got off a little bit light with this. And perhaps a stricter, tougher sentence could have maybe fixed them, ironed them out, or at least made people more aware of what he was up to. Yeah, so Eric, at this point, decides to change his name to Luca Rocco Magnotta. Now, I wonder, I'm just making this up now, if Rocco has anything to do with the porn star, Rocco Sofredi. I don't know, like, if he's involved in that sort of world, if he looks up to this guy. I don't really know, I'm just putting that out there, but he's declared bankrupt in March 2007. He owes $17,000 to various, various companies. He continues, he's on this sort of, fucking Love Island quest to become famous, but without Love Island, he goes on to reality shows in Canada like Cover Guy, for example, where he tells the judges, some people say, I am devastatingly good looking, and then he gets rejected. <laughs> and year after that, he also tries out for another show called Plastic Makes Perfect, which sounds like something you would get on Bravo or something like that, basically people getting fucking plastic surgery and being proud of it and saying look what it does for me he's had his nose done he's had two hair transplants and he tells him i'm planning on having muscle implants and my pecs just a bizarre like i've never had plastic surgery it's just something that can become an addiction you, you do see it with people sort of getting addicted to it but he's a young boy i don't it does point to psychological issues in my opinion anyway 
Yeah, he's obsessed with being noticed. He's obsessed with people taking taking notice of him and being famous and people being impressed by how he looks. You you mentioned the name and the Rocco part of it. I don't know that about the Rocco part, Jack. What I do know is the Luca part was one that he kind of used quite a lot because this might be lost on you because it's musical. Um, however, he quite a lot of the time on these shows introduced himself when he lived in his flat. He actually did live on the third floor of a flat and he used to say, my name is Luca, I live on the third floor. Um, which comes from that kind of famous song, and he would really, really ramp that up and make it a kind of thing about him. What famous song? Sorry, you need to tell me. There's, there's a song, um, and it goes, "My name is Luca. I live on the second floor." That sort of thing. What is the song called? But do you know? It's called Luca uh, by Suzanne Vega. You might she sang a song called um, Susan's Diner as well. She sang that, quite famous in the eighties. Um, but the, my name is Luca. I live on the second floor quite a famous line from her song and it's one that he used a lot to try and become a little bit of a catchphrase of his or something that people would notice as well. Yeah so I suppose that these things with uh, wanting to be noticed and stuff like that being famous for being famous is kind of understandable but it gets to 2007 mate in September rumours start to bounce about basically and this is when it starts this is when it starts to get a little bit Stranger, basically, the Toronto Sun, which is obviously a paper in Canada, publishes a story um, about how Magnotta had dropped the newspapers, had dropped by just to, like, deny rumours that he was dating a notorious schoolgirl killer called Carla Homolka. I don't know much about Carla, do you? I I don't know much about this guy. I know that he, he killed a schoolgirl basically, and he became quite notorious for it in Canada. Um, and these rumours all appeared online that this Luca McNaughton was now dating this horrific killer of schoolchildren. Um, however, the, the the big thing here was that these rumours weren't really rumours, Jack. They were stories that were started by Luca McNaughton himself. Um, he had umpteen online accounts. He had lots of different YouTube channels, and what he would actually do was post things on them, log into the other one, reply to that comment, log into the other one, reply to that comment, and build big, long, elaborate online conversations and online discord, basically, about himself, but from the point of view of other people. I wonder if he ever forgot to <laughs> to change accounts. You know how you see it sometimes in Twitter where somebody posts a story and then <laughs> the, re- the replies from themselves saying, oh, you all right, bro? Oh, no, did that- how bad? Oh, we feel sorry for you. Mate, it's just, <laughs> I love that shit, man. Like fucking catfishing themselves in real life and then forgetting to log out of accounts. Amateur mistake, but he seems like the type of guy that would probably be on the ball because of how committed he was. I, I think he had this kind of fine tuned. He he lost some kind of court battles with Wikipedia uh, to keep a page up about himself. He created a, a Wikipedia page about himself and Wikipedia kept removing it because they said it wasn't in public interest, you shouldn't have a Wikipedia page. Um, he would post a, lot, a bunch of different online escort ads under the alias Jimmy. Um, people were posting kind of unflattering reviews about him, which he didn't like. Um, later on, when police started investigating him and going through his computer records and various things, Jack, they found out that he had 70 different Facebook profiles and 20 different logins to websites under different names. I run my personal Twitter Quite a thing we do, and we share wrong term memories. I've got three, and sometimes you lose track of that. Like, 
Fucking hell, 70 Facebook pages. 70 Facebook, and he was, he had those 70 people all commenting on things and talking to each other all the time to build up his, this look of not a guy as some kind of crazy online persona. He meets a 70 year old man, yeah, in October, I think, Colin, in Toronto, ends up becoming his travel companion. Don't really know what a travel companion is. It becomes his travel companion on his meal ticket for a while because this guy pays for them to go to Russia, Italy, and France. Um, and they, they go all over the place. Um, apparently, this guy, this old guy Henry, spoke out about it afterwards and said that being with Luca Magnotta was like being on stage with a model because he was always just looked as if he was walking down the, the catwalk and he always looked like he was modelling clothes. He was such a perfect looking guy. So, this old guy was definitely taken in by him, but thankfully, he's still alive. So, it could have been worse for old uh, Henry. Yeah, his postings got a little bit darker 2010. Um, his Facebook, he posts a link to a video called Three Guys, One Hammer, which I think, I think I've seen. I've seen it, it's horrendous. Is it the one with a sort of poly bag and it's, or is that two guys, one screwdriver or something? It's the Russian guys out in the forest and they've basically got a homeless guy with them and they just batter fuck out him. It's like they stab his eyes out and stuff like that, it's fucking disgusting, yeah. So this myth about his relationship with Homolka starts to grow. And in one posting about Magnota and Hamolka, the user, likely to be fucking Magnota, just posting by himself, writes, Luca is unable to live unless there is chaos in his life. It makes him feel as though he matters. So it looks like he's trying to garner a darker, more edgier side by now in 2010, Colin. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Shortly before Christmas in 2010, just December 21st, a new video appears online called One Guy, Two Kittens, and it starts basically being circulating on the various discussion boards and forums. The video basically shows an unidentified man whose face is concealed, placing two kittens into a sealed bag and then sucking out the air with a vacuum to suffocate them. Um, YouTube pretty quickly removed the video, but it still appears in various other places online, and animal activists learn of it, Jack, and they get pretty angry, and they start a bit of a, bit of a campaign amongst themselves to try and track down who the man is in this video. Yeah, I've got issues with online sleuths in general, basically. I think they mucky the waters quite a lot, far too much. But in this case, um, there's a, a former soldier called Ryan Boyle, uh, who uses the online name Save Kitty, and he starts a Facebook group basically saying find the vacuum killer for justice, and about 4,000 people sign up. None of these people are doing it for money. Um, they've all got the same thing in mind, which is just they want to catch this fucking horrible creature of a man, and the group believes that Magnotta joined the group under some sort of alias to sort of keep track about what they were doing, basically. Um, when the group goes... Uh, a stay basically in the search for the killer. They believe that McNaughton himself has anonymously went on the message board and just, like I say, posted pictures uh, with a video with a face no longer blurred. Is that right? Does yeah, that so he, he got right. he got quite bold. Basically, the, the group the group started to struggle. They weren't really getting anywhere. So McNaughton, bold as fuck, says, "Well, I've actually managed to do some software here, and I found some pictures uh, of this." All oh, right, is he trying to be a cop? Like, oh, look how good I am! Yeah, I've re- I've removed the blood in so we can actually see what this guy looks like now, and he's put the picture of himself in to try and get them closer to finding him to try and because basically the trail was going cold and they weren't the group wasn't as active anymore and people weren't talking about him, so he sacrifices himself in a way to make it happen. 
Um, there's another animal protection group called Rescue Inc. who put up a $5,000 reward for any information leading to the vacuum kitten killer. Um, they say that's a gateway crime, animal abuse, and it's so important that we catch this guy because once he's opened that door with a kitten, it could get really dangerous in terms of what he could do with a human being. Um, McDonough starts contacting a lawyer in New York, Jack, uh, a guy called Romeo Salta, expressing alarm about the firestorm over the kitten killer. Um, he was convinced that the animal activists were now closing in on him, and McDonough asked whether any arrest warrants were pending on him. But the lawyer looked into it and told him there wasn't any. So he got a bit too big for his boots. They did start to panic a little bit about these activists and about the police trying to get him for the kitten killing. Yeah, and then early 2011, I think it is, there's a, a new online group called Animal Beta Project, or the AB Project, basically. And uh, its goal is basically to stop Magnota before he kills again, because like you mentioned there, it is a gateway crime. And if people are killing animals... Not saying everybody that kills an animal will kill a person, but they they get bored of killing animals or whatever and want to sort of move up the the food ladder, um, basically. And they feel like they they want to obviously want to protect animals, uh, but they do know that things are going to get much more violent. And kind of sadly, I suppose that is what happens. And like these sluts analyze the the kitten video frame by frame, basically, which is again, like I says, I'm not a massive online sleuth fan. I think they can be pains in the arses. They once they've got a something in their head, it can become their reality, and they push it, and then it might build up a bit of steam while all the while the police, especially in murder cases, are trying to sort of figure it out. Um, like the Cecil Hotel documentary recently sort of annoyed me with these online sleuth cunts, to be perfectly honest with you. But they claim that the furnishings and the kittens, killer's clothing in the videos are the same as those and other images of Magnota. So they're starting to piece it together here, mate. Yeah, there's so much pictures of Magnota online. Um, and different kind of pseudonyms and different personas and stuff, to be fair. But they start to notice things in the rooms and things in clothing and stuff that point towards this being this guy. Um, they start putting all this information together but the one thing they can't track down is his physical location they just can't figure out where he is Um, however they get a bit of luck when they find an image that he'd uploaded online and they pulled the metadata from the image which told them exactly when and where the photo was taken and that one of those photos still had the cell phone stamp on it with a GPS locator that told them that this guy was in Toronto what they did next was contact the Ontario Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals with all their findings, and they presented it all to the Toronto Police. The police opened up a file on Luca Bignotta ahead of this, however, didn't do anything to go and actually speak to him or talk to him. Yeah, so leading up to Christmas in 2011, about November, December, this is a year after the first video was online, basically. There's more video posted, and this time he gets a little bit more creative, cocky, trying to again just getting noticed because he's wearing a Santa hat this time and it shows him feeding a live kitten to a python basically and in another video a kitten is duct taped to a brown hand though and drowned. I've got cats and it's just it's just a horrible cunt man like yeah it's awful it's absolutely shocking yeah and he's cocky because he's like look I've done it again you're never going to catch me hello friends Colin here the looks, the charm and the brains behind Drunk Their Memory. Just wanted to pop in and interrupt your listening pleasure to let you know about our Patreon and some changes that we've made to it recently. We've now introduced a £1 tier 
where you get absolutely hee-haw other than the sense of achievement that could only come from supporting two great guys like myself and Jack. But also just the price of the two top tiers uh, by a pound on each of them just because we appreciate life is a little bit shit just now and uh, if we can make things a little bit better for people then we will. So check us out at patreon.com forward slash wrong term memory and you'll be able to get early access to shows, ad-free, and lots of bonus content. Oh, well, we'll see about that, you prick. Believe it or not, one of the heroes of this, or the early heroes of this uh, story, is the Sun newspaper in the UK. Yeah, not the Toronto Sun, the British Sun. Yeah. yeah, they got involved, the Sun newspaper in the UK, published a story about this kitten killer online, and they named McNaughta as one of the potential... Um, one of the potential people it could be. McNaughton never wanted to shy away from something like this. Turned up in London at the Sun's offices to deny the fact <laughs> he had killed a kitten. The paper had not asked about him and they didn't ask him to come. He just turned up. Alex West, the reporter, described the behaviour as highly suspicious. Um, he wrote that behind the denials, it did seem though there was some sort of bizarre pleasure out of the attention this was bringing to him. Two days later, threatening emails are sent to the Sun's offices, believed to be from Magnotta, saying, next time you hear from me, it'll be in a movie I'm producing, and I will have some humans in it, not just pussies. Uh, the London police are notified, but they don't really do much because like, it's outside their jurisdiction because he's back in Canada at this point. Yeah, the ball's really rolling on the online sluice here, and they get a tip in 2012 that Magnotta might have moved and is staying in Montreal now. So they begin searching through their archive of all his pictures and anything that connects them to the city, basically. They find a photo with, again, <clears throat> pretty cool, really unique streetlights, which catch their attention. So I think, as you would, or as police actually do, I was watching 24 Hours in Police Custody the other night, and this is what they've done. They've gone to Google Earth now. Yeah. Or they, they Google search streetlights um, in Montreal or unique streetlights, look at a picture, and then basically just go to the map and find it and go, ah, look, that's exactly what it is. And that's basically uh, what they've done. And around this time, Magnotta's online activity begins to, if he's not already fucking on it all the time, it gets, it accelerates more and more and more. Blog postings about necrophilia and like pumping people for their sedatives and stuff like that, really sort of twisted stuff. So it only gets worse, Jack. Um, over the course of the next two days, uh, from May 15th to May 16th, there's repeated references made online to this new upcoming video called One Lunatic, One Ice Pick. Now, this video hasn't even been posted yet. Nobody's seen it. Um, but it's said to depict a person basically murdering somebody with an ice pick. Um, people on other sites are asking, where can I watch it? Where can I find it? Is it online anywhere? And Ryan Boyle, the former soldier who started the Facebook group looking for the kitten killer, starts to realise that this is quite similar to early patterns where Magnotta would build buzz about a video about the kittens uh, via aliases and other accounts before actually releasing the video. Um, after a flurry of online postings about it and Magnotta posting lots of stuff online, he goes dark for a few days, no online activity whatsoever. And on May the 24th, Jack, Concordia University student Wan Lin fails to show up for his job. Yeah, so that's my 27th birthday, uh, May the 24th. Keep that in your diaries moving forward, guys. Day after that, May the 25th, 11-minute videos posted here, one lunatic, one ice pick, onto a website called bestgoer.com. Is that still a website, mate? Do we know? Um, I know the guy that created the website got into a bit of bother off the back of all this going on, so I doubt it. Yeah, so this video sort of shows a, a naked male tied to a bed frame, 
getting stabbed by an ice pick, kitchen knife, dismembered, having sex with the dead bodies, all this fucking creepy shit. Um, the perpetrator uses a knife and fork to cut off some flesh, gets a dog to chew in the body. The 1987 song True Faith by New Order is playing and there's a poster in the background from 1942, the film Casablanca, mate. This was 10 days before the actual murder took place. So what was happening here? Was it like, was this like a, a fucking promo video? So he, he basically started promoting this video online and putting posts about this upcoming video before he even did the murder. So before he even shot the video, um, it gives you an idea of how premeditated it was because he actually gave details of what was going to be in the video, what he was going to be doing to the person and all that sort of stuff. Um, and that was online from May the 15th, those sort of teasers, whereas the video didn't appear till May the 25th. And it's believed that it was May the 24th when he went dark online and when Wan Lin filled the shop for his job is when the actual murder happened. Um, it's, a, it's a strange one. After hearing the original podcast, they played the audio from this video, Jack, all 11 minutes of it, and you could hear the music, you could hear what was going on in the background. Um, I ended up seeing a little bit of the video online, 30 seconds or so of it, and it was horrendous. Um, but that song, True Faith by New Order, is actually one of my favourite songs, and it's really weird now, because I still love it. It's just such a great, great song. However, it now means Luca Vignotta killing somebody when I hear it. It's it, It's really, really strange. Yeah, New Order, like, I'm not into music, everybody knows that, but they care, like, the sort of old Joy Division, basically, so, is that right? Like, they sort of grew out of that after the, the guy killed himself in Curtis, so... They were, they were involved in that sort of scene, you probably know them best from the World in Motion, the England World Cup song. Yes, that will be it, that will be it. Where yeah. uh, John, John Barnes rapping and stuff, that, that was them as well. Right, okay, okay, so, they've got a bit of a dark history. That band, I suppose, um, with Ian Curtis being so unwell and killing himself and stuff like that. So I don't know if there's any sort of vibe there about the, the darkness and the history of stuff. I don't particularly know. But uh, at the Conservative Party headquarters in Ottawa, um, they end up calling the police one day because they receive a package with a foot in it. <laughs> I'm sorry for laughing, man, but <laughs> imagine, imagine like getting a, an Amazon delivery man whipping it open and it's just like a person's fucking foot. Yeah, they got a second package, man. I wouldn't be opening that. No surprises, <laughs> fucking hand in that one. Like, obviously, things are fucking took a took a real bad turn for the bus here. Uh, Montreal police confirmed that they're investigating a human torso, which is then found in garbage as well. So, yeah, shit's went awry basically. It has. Um, a few days later, on May the thirtieth, so five days after this, uh, Montreal police actually name a suspect and they say that Luca Roca Bignotta is wanted in the homicide investigation, stemming from the body parts. He's been on the radar since the day before, and he was seen on a surveillance video uh, of his apartment building and a Canada Post outlet. So they've seen him kind of coming and going from the place, going to the post office. They've tracked that back from the foot and the hand. The police go and search the apartment that he was renting in uh, Desiree Boulevard. Uh, he'd moved in there four months prior, and the rent was paid up right up until the next month. Um, the apartment was mostly empty. Uh, he'd fled, fled the apartment basically and emptied most of the things in it. However, they did find blood on the mattress, on the refrigerator, on a table, and in the bathtub. And he'd written in the mirror in red ink, if you don't like the reflection, don't look in the mirror, because I don't care. Just bizarre, man. Like, and it's not until May the thirtieth that the video starts to get analysed. This is when the police first see it, which seems a little bit strange to me because this video shows a dismemberment of a man, 
and it appears on the web, basically. And Mark Marek owns the website. He tells CBC News that members of his site have identified Magnotta, basically. As soon as this happens, no surprises, there is an arrest warrant issued for the following crimes. First degree murder, which is the big one, obviously. Committing an indignity to a dead body, so shagging a dead body. And publishing obscene materials, uh, mailing obscene, indecent, immoral or scrupulous materials and criminally harassing Canadian Prime Minister Stephen Harper and several unnamed members of Parliament. So the police are pissed off and they are on the hunt for Luca. They are. Into June now, they identified the victim finally. Um, it's the victim of the killing and dismemberment is identified as Wan Lin a Chinese national who was studying at Concordia University in Montreal. Uh, police announced that McNaughta left Canada and went to France on May the 26th. Um, there's now a global manhunt to find him. He's been dubbed the Butcher of Montreal by French media. And someone's claimed they spotted him in a Paris cafe, um, but nobody gets to the cafe quickly enough to catch him. Um, he'd booked a ticket, Jack, for a flight from Montreal to Paris uh, on May the 25th. He used a passport in his own name. When he arrived in France, his cell phone signal was traced to a certain hotel, but he'd left that hotel by the time the police arrived. They found pornographic magazines and an air sickness bag in his room. He then used a false passport with the name Kirk Trammell at the hotel. He had contacts in Paris for a previous visit there when he used to go around with the old guy Harry. And police were following a large framed man who'd been in contact with Bignotta. Another man he stayed with for two nights did not realise that he was actually with Bignotta until he left. So you get a lucky escape. And Bignotta then boarded a Eurolines bus and headed for Berlin in Germany, Jack. Yeah, so it's in Berlin he gets arrested in an internet cafe on June the 4th, basically. Seven officers hunt him down and were involved in the arrest after a tip-off. As far as I know, he was arrested alone and there was no struggle. Um, said one of the police officers. There's no doubt uh, about the suspect's identity, basically. He is the person that they're looking for. They know they've got the guy. And McNaughta, a little bit of a, not a little bit of a shitbag, sorry, but he went quietly, basically. Uh, the cafe's owner said that he, he seen the arrest, but he'd, like he wanted to sort of keep his anonymity. Which, do you think, as a market employee, that it might have been good for him to say McNaughta got arrested here? People would go, you know, these sort of true crime. Like, I know we like true crime, but you know, you get people that are right into it that would maybe want to go to the restaurant because, look, a big note, I was arrested there. Do you know what I mean? Possibly, yeah. I mean, it wasn't so much a, a, a restaurant. It was more of an internet cafe that he was found in. That's what I mean, but it's still a place to visit. Yeah, he was actually in there Googling the news stories about himself when they caught him. <laughs> Closely um, man. So, yeah, when they, when, they, when they got to Matty's PC, he had a bunch of tabs open looking at different reports about the killing and about people trying to find them. Um, I'm not sure why the guy would be anonymous. Maybe he was a bit worried about McNaughton perhaps getting off with it and coming back to get him or something. He maybe thought after the trial will come out. Because you're right, like the kind of world we live in now, people probably would flock to that internet cafe just to see this is where Luca McNaughton get caught. I don't know, maybe the guy was a bit of a shite bag. Yeah, he's held in, he's been arrested obviously, and he, the Canadians want him back, um, so he awaits extradition on June the 5th. But on on June the 5th, um, staff opening mail at a Vancouver primary school, basically, or an elementary school, sorry, discovered a human hand and a foot again, um, later determined that it came from Montreal, and this prompts more speculation about a Magnotta link, because it is quite a... Seems like an MO very much of sending hands and feet to people. 
It does, yeah. And people started to stress and worry at this point that this was a far bigger case than they thought. There was potentially far more victims and there was potentially more people involved. Um, however, quite quickly, I think it only took them two days, they established that there was no link between the two crimes and it was just someone that either had the same idea or was doing a bit of the old copycat stuff. Yeah, so Jun Lin, the poor guy, there's an award created for him on June the 8th. Um, Concordia University announced the creation of this award commemorating the life of Jun Lin. And a couple of days after that, Jun Lin it comes out, uh, the family basically release, what would you call it? Like a press release basically saying that he was their pride and joy, which is something that obviously you would think would happen. But things just, body parts just keep turning up, mate. Like, where is he putting them? Like, because they find more body parts. Like, has he obviously drove about with body parts and just dumped them in separate areas or whatever? Because the day after the, the award was announced, they find um, more body parts and they confirm that they're June wins, I think. Yeah, it looks like he has kind of, he did chop up the body into many, many parts, bin bags. He left the apartment a number of times and deposited them in different places. Yeah, he was quite particular about that. He wasn't just going to dump the body in one place. He did hide different things in different places. There is actually a thought that his plan was to go back and get these pieces and start mailing them back off to the Canadian government or to the police and start taunting them with them. Um, but obviously he never got the chance to do that because he went on the run pretty quickly because they identified who he was. Yeah, so he gets back to Canada, June 18th basically, to face trial. He pleads not guilty um, via tele teleconference basically. He says it wasn't me, it wasn't me that done all that stuff. And then the, the court back uh, sort of insight into his possible psychiatric evaluation, like they want to take a look and see if this guy is horrible, no, knows right from wrong and we'll get to that, we'll get to that in a minute, but they do find more remains again. Yeah, I mean, they're at trial. Yeah, they're at trial they, they, they know the victim, they think they know who the murderer is, but they're still finding bits of this poor John Lynn guy this time it's his head that they find in a park next to a small lake um, during the trial it's confirmed that is his head um, so he has really spread these parts about. Um, at this point, John Lynn's parents uh, get involved. They put out an emotional and quite tearful display on news and on the TV about how sorry they are and how they want justice to come for their son. Um, this is when the best score guy gets involved again, guy. This, this guy, Mark Merrick, who owned the website where the video was posted, was charged with corrupting public morals, which is a rarely used obscenity charge, which hadn't been used in Canada for decades prior to this but he was given this charge for hosting the one lunatic one ice pick video online he pled guilty to this and was sentenced to a six month sentence um and he was to serve half of the six month sentence under house arrest um so he did kind of pay for having that website in the first place which is why i don't think that website's still operational so like we says he magnot is not guilty at this point uh, the evidence is presented basically, and Magnotta's defence team requests that the media is barred entirely from the hearing, which happens in some countries and happens in other countries not so much. Um, but that's declined, basically. They say, no, this is very much a case that the public need to know about, basically. And on April the 12th, 2013, Magnotta is indicted in the charges of first-degree murder and all those things that are I mentioned earlier, he gets the trial, Colin. And again, he's, still, he's pleading not guilty again. 
Like, he's just saying that, wasn't me. Like, fuck you, we know it's you. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, it's, it's so obvious it's him, but yeah, he's pleaded not guilty. He then, then admits to the acts of which he was accused, but he claims diminished responsibility due to his previous mental disorders. Um, on the opening day, he instructed the jurors that McNaughta admits the acts or the conducts underlying the crime for which he is charged. What I'm saying to you, Julie, though, is your task is now to determine whether he committed those five offences with the required state of mind for each offence. So they've kind of realised that it's too obvious now they can't just do the not guilty thing. So they're now trying to get the jury to determine that he wasn't in a frame of mind to make a right decision to do these things. There's a lot of stuff found outside his apartment, uh, things that were involved in the in the killing, six tools, basically. A pair of scissors, two knives, a screwdriver, an oscillating saw and a hammer. These were all analysed by experts um, who said none could be definitively linked to the killing and there was no skeletal marks suggesting that the screwdriver or the scissors were used, but they were consistent with the injuries to the body. Um, so he's done a decent job at sort of cleaning up after himself and not leaving marks and stuff like that on these weapons that he's used. Yeah, like I'm not a lawyer, obviously, but the defence attorney here, a guy called Luke Leclerc, basically is claiming that Magnotta was in a psychotic state at the time of the crimes and shouldn't be held responsible. It seems pretty fucking obvious that this was so premeditated that how could... Like, surely if your lawyer was trying to argue that for you, even if you were fucking psychotic, you would say, like, no, we need to come up with something better than that because I literally posted stuff 10 days before I'd done it. It's just bizarre, man. Like, a lot of people don't have a lot of time for defence lawyers, and it's kind of things like this that put you off them. I get that people need a fair trial, but when it's so clearly premeditated, organised, he knew what he was doing, he's running 70 fucking Facebook profiles without ever tripping himself up, particularly he's an organised individual with a fucking game in mind, basically, and that actually annoyed me like that somebody would try and push this, or he was unwell at the time Absolutely, there's just no way that someone who did what he did, operated all those online accounts promote the videos, did all that sort of stuff to hype it up, could be in that state for that whole sort of 10, 12 days in the time it takes to do the killing. Um, he chose not to testify during his trial, which surprised a lot of people because people would have thought he'd have wanted his moment of fame. Um, there was a 12-week trial included 10 weeks of hearing testimony. A jury of eight women and four men received final instructions from the trial judge on December the 15th, 2014, and they began their deliberations the next day. After eight days of deliberation, eight days, mate, they took to decide whether he was of sane mind or not, they returned a verdict of guilty on all charges. Uh, he was given a mandatory life sentence, um, which means he'll be eligible for parole after 25 years. However, he was also served sentenced to 19 years for other charges, but they will be served concurrently. Um, he did file an appeal, of course he did, for the convictions to be annulled and a new trial ordered. The appeal was filed with the Quebec Court of Appeal by McDaughter's Defence Council, um, citing judicial error in jury instruction. Uh, the appeal further claims that the verdicts are unreasonable and unsupported by the evidence and the instructions. Um, however, not long after this, McNaughton withdrew his appeal on February the 18th, 2015. Are we going to go on to the mental health stuff, by the way? Because this is another thing that fucking annoys me to the depths of my soul. Yeah, there's a number here of things that he has been diagnosed by by court experts for the defence. 
Um, and uh, the Crown identify some of these and the defence, but there's, it's an interesting list, Jack, so I think you'll find a way with it. Yeah, that, this is what fucking annoys me. Right? They've got an independent guy that comes in, a borderline personality disorder with historic traits, as what the independent guy says. The Crown prosecution come in and say, look, has got border personality disorder, antisocial personality disorder, historic personality disorder, and narcissistic personality disorder. Okay. The defence doctors, psychiatrists, then come in and say, all of them say he's paranoid schizophrenic, which would then get him off because you could claim a schizophrenic episode while you were doing these crimes. It's just... It's almost like fucking... Like, what would you call it? Like a diagnosis by order. Because you're the defence, you go to a fucking doctor that you know well that's pals with you and say, look, why to diagnose him with schizophrenia, whereas the Crown go to an R guy and say, look, don't mention schizophrenia, say it's personality disorder. I think it's pretty sickening, basically, that these fucking doctors, in inverted commas, like, don't get me wrong, there's something wrong with the guy, mentally, obviously, but the way you can just twist it to fit your narrative uh, with the defence all saying that he's schizophrenic and the Crown saying that he's not, are they just lying? Like, wh- wh- where the fuck's this coming from? It's annoying. It really annoys me. It's paid testimony, basically. Yeah, that's that's how it works. Um, During his trial for murder, um, defence witnesses provided evidence that he had been diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia as a teenager. Um, A defence expert, Dr Joel Watts, testified that he showed signs of episodic schizophrenia, um, historic personality disorder, borderline personality traits, and paraphilia not otherwise specified. The prosecution, however, said he'd been using illegal drugs during his teenage years and that led to the symptoms that mimicked schizophrenia. Um, he'd never actually been diagnosed with borderline personality disorder. Um, Joel Parrish uh, at the Jewish General Hospital in April 2012 did some tests on him, but nothing was conclusive. He was treated um, since November 2012 throughout the preliminary hearing and right up to the murder trial. But diagnosis, diagnosis of borderline personality disorder with historic features, was never properly proven. Um, to be honest, Jack, with all this, the kind of guy that you know that Luke Wingnotta was, I'm not sure a doctor would be able to diagnose him properly because you would never know if you're talking to the right guy or if what you're hearing was true because this is a guy with 70 different accounts online. He changes his appearance, he changes his persona, changes his name. I don't think he's the kind of guy you could have tied down and actually just put a label on anyway. These people are meant to be fucking experts in their field. That's their job. There's got to be some sort of commonality. Like, it wouldn't surprise me if fucking uh, Dr. Paris and Dr. Chamberlain from The Crown agreed with Dr. Watts and Dr. fucking Allard from The Defence in some things. But because they're getting paid by different people, they fucking pump out a report and just fucking cut and paste things in or delete things at will. I think it's pretty fucking, I, I, I don't know, I think it's a fucking horrible thing. Um, anyway, this cunt gets put in prison. He does get put in prison, yeah, and he he doesn't calm down any. He he decides just to try and antagonise people even further. He starts sending friends letters um, that he sent talking about his new life behind bars. In these letters, he describes prison life um, uh, as like a trip to a club med resort on holiday. Uh, he describes a typical picture life inside of a maximum security prison has not been what he's experiencing. He said that his prison is mostly like a university dorm setting. 
Inmates are allowed to roam free within the prison walls for most of the day. He can take leisurely strolls through the prison gardens. He says he spends most of his days quietly reading, enjoying art, or relaxing to the, smo- the soothing sounds of the latest Celine Dion album. Um, <laughs> he talks about um, when he's not soaking up the sun outside, he plays for one of the many prison sports teams. Uh, he also has time for his art and his music. He says he gets five-star quality prison cuisine, but it does complain that their chocolate selection is not quite up to the mark, as he would like better chocolate. Um, he talks about a convenience store in the prison, which is pretty much any food offering imaginable, and sometimes the prison officers bring in pizza parties for them. Um, he says he's taken advantage of many educational opportunities and brags that he's been learning French in jail as well. See, th- th- this is where I'm a little bit sort of split down the middle because... Uh, when it comes to punishment versus rehabilitation, there are obviously outliers and there are certain studies that say if you get treated like a human being while you're in jail, you can be you can come out the other end and not reoffend, right? I, I get that. And for some crimes, that's what you want. You don't want to institutionalize people within six months a year so that they then become lifelong criminals there needs to be some sort of humility and humanity i do think for some people right when it comes to fucking pedophiles rapists and murderers it's it's a i'm going for punishment you know that's like that's my opinion i I do think that if you assault somebody or even even drink driving and stuff like that, you can get rehabilitated and to be rehabilitated you need to get treated like a person. But if he's obviously bigging this up a bit, but for some people it should be a punishment. You should be in a box for fucking twenty three hours a day and get to see sunlight one hour a day and you can walk about and hopefully some cunt stabs fuck at us little like oh man, like oh I'm sure like I'm sounding like some sort of like I'm like I said, I'm just a little bit split as to what is the best course of action? Because when it comes to like maybe second degree murder or manslaughter as well, people can be rehabilitated. That may be a crime of passion. But when this is just so premeditated, such a horrible cunt, he should be punished for the whole of his fucking life that he spends in prison. He shouldn't be getting fucking pizza parties. But again, is he telling the truth here? We don't know. Well, that's that's the thing that's been argued. Canadian officials have said that there's there's massive um, stretch in some of these stories, and it's just not true. Um, but it's for me the big the big thing here is whether it's true or not. It's the fact that he's sending letters and bragging about this lifestyle, and he's making sure that the victim's family hear about it and stuff like that. It just gives you an idea of kind of what he's all about. Um, this trial and this case and Luca Magnotta, he, he did achieve the thing that he wanted me in terms of getting famous and becoming well known. Um, it drew comparisons across North America to Mark Twitchell case, who was a convicted murderer that was inspired by the TV show Dexter. <laughs> a really shit ending. <laughs> yeah, well, you don't know that because it's coming back next month when you have oh, a new season of Dexter. So, it is. Yeah. Um, so we're going to find out what happens to old uh, Lumberjack. However, though, he became even more famous after various podcasts about him, and then Netflix was just a three-part documentary series um, on the, about basically using the people on the internet that tried to track him down. They were kind of front and centre of this this uh, documentary. It was called "Don't Fuck with the Cats." Um, it came out in 2019 very very popular on Netflix and very very good, it doesn't tell the full story it leaves quite a bit out 
compared to if you read his Wikipedia page and if you do listen to other podcasts and stuff. But it's well worth a watch because some of the footage of him and the online pictures and stuff they show proper brings to life to you just how much of a nutcase this guy was and how much of a persona he was trying to put together. So, Jack, I know this was a season we were doing about serial killers and he's not technically a serial killer, but I just find him so interesting because he's so evil, he's so manipulative and he's so sneaky. Um, I, I'm just a bit fascinated by the guy because he's mental. Yeah, there is a certain pizzazz surrounding him because of his craving for fame, basically. Like, he wanted to be famous. He got plastic surgery. He applied to be on fucking these reality shows and so on and so forth. It's a very modern-day murder, basically. It's, it's a social media murder, like which is something that we're not going to cover a, a hell of a lot because... I don't find them as interesting as the old school people that are murdering fucking 89 people. Like, I think that's more, like, more... Well, obviously it's badder, in inverted commas. <laughs> like, obviously it's worse. But this guy, yeah, very modern day, and the fact that he's got a Netflix documentary and stuff like that about him just points towards this. Um, he kind of got what he want, like, Joey, like that Joey Exotic guy, basically. The guy from... Like, he kind of got what he wanted, but, like, but ending up in jail and becoming not famous but infamous and Luca Magnotta, we are speaking about him there's plenty of podcasts about him and like I say, if you've got a Netflix documentary about your crimes, you're doing something right in inverted commas, you know Yeah, it's um, it's funny, if you think about the Zodiac Killer, who obviously was far more prolific, active for a far more longer time, far many of our victims but he used to fuck with the police and fuck with people leaving his little emblems leaving his little clues they figured out who he was, you know that, yeah? Yeah, the case was opened up again this week with some new information that's came through about this as well, actually. Yeah, guy called Gary. <laughs> <laughs> but Luca Magnotta was almost like the, the modern version of that, only on a much smaller scale, though. Instead of leaving little clues at the crime scenes and stuff like that, he was doing it online. He was leaving little footnotes on videos, he was leaving little clips online, little pictures. It's a guy that was just so consumed with being famous, he wanted to do it in any way, and when he couldn't get famous becoming a model and be on TV shows, he decided to become infamous rather than famous. And that's just a dangerous, dangerous individual. And because of Canada's quite lapsed laws, mate, he's going to be out of prison in 10, 15 years' time. Yeah, it's a really bizarre one, that, like in some of these countries where you do have a maximum sentence. Speaking about that, actually, that leads us quite neatly on to next week's episode, which we will give a little bit of promo to now. We have been focusing on true crime and murder, and next week... There is murder, there is true crime, but it's more music history and it's about the black metal scene, especially the second wave that came from Norway, Colin. I know you're a big fan of Gorgamoth and fucking angry drum beaters or whatever these bands are called, mate. So you looking forward to recording that one for next week? No. Yeah, me neither. <laughs> <laughs> Right, guys, take it easy. Uh, visit wrongtermemory.com and piesports.com. Bye. Bye. That was a Quite the Thing media production.